With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, guys? It is a Sunday night. This is your AEW All Out 2023 review. AEW was in Chicago tonight. They were at the United Center. Now, we know uh, all of the events of the past several days have been a very eventful week for AEW, not necessarily for uh, all the right reasons. And so there was concern coming into the show tonight about how hostile would this crowd be in the United Center in light of all the CM Punk stuff? Would they hijack the show? Would there be chants all night long? That did not happen. I don't know why people would have thought that it would happen. They were in Chicago for collision last night, and uh, everything was fine there, so I don't know why tonight would have been any different. What AEW did tonight was they went out there and they proved that they are in very good hands. They are in very good hands with the current roster that they have, which is stockpiled with talent. Despite the events of this week and despite all the doom and gloom, they're going to be just fine. And in fact, I actually thought that All Out tonight was a better show than All In last weekend. And I enjoyed All In. I thought All In was a very good show. But I thought All Out was better. I had more fun with this pay-per-view tonight. Tony Khan, once again, called upon his tried and true. He called upon the man that he has depended on for quite a long time. A man who he depended on a lot in 2022 to come through for him in the clutch. Whenever CM Punk would let him down, when CM Punk broke his foot and had to go away for a while and have major surgery, who was the person that Tony Khan called upon to be his interim champion and carry him through the summer? It was John Moxley. When CM Punk got suspended after Brawl Out and went away and got stripped of the AEW World Championship, who was the man that Tony Khan called upon to save the day, to become the champion, to put the championship over on MJF and do the honors for him at full gear, it was John Moxley. And so now that CM Punk has gotten himself fired, in what I'm sure on a show where he would have been in the main event, Tony Khan once again calls upon John Moxley to be in his main event here on this all-out pay-per-view against Orange Cassidy for the International Championship. The 326-day reign of Orange Cassidy has come to an end. I know no one no one is more sad about that than I am, losing my championship. But the reign is over. December of 2022 is when Orange Cassidy won that championship, and what he went on to do, and the way they booked him on television all throughout this year, the international title overtook the TNT championship in terms of prestige, in terms of visibility on the television show, because the TNT title for too long was all botched up. But Orange Cassidy was there on the show every single week, and he was defending that championship. They would have him open the show. They would have him in main events occasionally. And somehow he would always find a way to win. And he continued to get himself over. Throughout the year, he has been one of the unsung heroes of this AEW roster in 2023. And so tonight... He got his very first pay-per-view main event where he got to close the show. 
For John Moxley, it was the second straight year at All Out that he closed out the pay-per-view in a championship match, and John Moxley now can add international title to his resume. Those two men went out there. They had a very good main event tonight. Kenny Omega and Kanosuke Takeshita, they went out and had an excellent professional wrestling match. I don't know anybody who would have thought otherwise. It was the match I was looking forward to the most on this show, and I thought they delivered. And not only did they deliver, but they delivered the correct finish. Because I thought Omega was going to go over. And instead it was Takeshita coming out with the biggest win of his career. And that is a huge win for Kanosuke Takeshita. Because going forward now, he has a singles win over Kenny Omega now on his resume. That's a big name for him to go in there and beat. He's the real deal. Takeshita is excellent. Just go ask Shinsuke Nakamura, who was tweeting about him during the show when the match was over. That was an excellent match. Brian Danielson, unfortunately, he had to miss Wembley Stadium last week. Still recovering from the broken arm. He wasn't medically cleared yet. Over the past week, he was medically cleared. Came back a hell of a lot earlier than people were expecting. He wasn't supposed to be back until sometime in October. There he was in the ring tonight, wrestling Ricky Starks in a strap match with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat on commentary at ringside. And Brian Danielson... This was basically the welcome party for Ricky Starks. I know Ricky Starks is not a, he's not a rookie. He's not new to AEW. But this felt like an initiation to me. This felt like he was telling Ricky Starks, hey, you want to be, you want to be at the top of the card, huh? You want to be a main event player in this company? Well, welcome. Because he whipped the ever-loving shit out of Ricky Starks in this match. And Ricky Starks gave it right back to him. And what we ended up with was the most brutal strap match that I have ever seen in my entire life. These guys were whipping each other like they owed each other money. They were whipping the, the, the flesh off their bodies. Just an absolutely fucking brutal war between those two men. And even though Ricky Starks lost the match and Brian Danielson got the win, the real winner in that match is Ricky Starks. I thought the way they did that finish, I thought the way they, they constructed the whole match him taking the beating that he took, not tapping out at the end, but passing out, right? What does that remind you of? I thought that was an excellent match as well. And we got a little tease for something that I was not expecting. We got a little tease for a future AEW World Championship match between MJF and Samoa Joe. So we have a lot to get into here. This is your, as I said, All Out 2023 review. Our announcers, going back to the pre-show, the zero-hour pre-show. Our announcers were Excalibur, Kevin Kelly, and Nigel McGuinness. Pre-show actually opened with a Brian Danielson promo, which I'm going to mention here because I thought that uh, it was a very, very nice thing that he did here in this promo. He talked about his love of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He remembered Steamboat encouraging him as a 20-year-old when he served as a referee for one of his matches. He said Steamboat continued to encourage him over the years. And Danielson said that he watched Ricky Starks whip Steamboat while he was at home, and there was nothing that he could do about it. He felt completely defenseless. He got all worked up over Starks thinking that it was okay to challenge a 70-year-old man to a strap match. Danielson said the last time he was in a strap match, he faced someone that he loved. And they beat the shit out of each other. And that was a reference to The Fiend because the two of them had a strap match back at the Royal Rumble in 2020, and it was actually one of the best Fiend matches, one of the best matches Bray Wyatt ever had as the Fiend character in WWE, was the strap match that he had with Brian Danielson. 
So I thought that was a nice uh, little tribute there from DB. He said he doesn't even like Ricky Starks, and he told him to just imagine what he'll do to him. So I like that. G- giving a little uh, nod to Bray Wyatt is very cool. They had a 20-man over-budget battle royal, with the winner receiving $50,000 to donate to the charity of their choice. The biggest star in the battle royal was Hangman Adam Page, who was over in Chicago. So again, for the people wondering what kind of reaction would the elite crew get, we'll talk about the Bucks later on, but Hangman Page had a nice uh, reaction here in Chicago, in case you were wondering. So it came down to Hangman Brian Cage and Toa Leona of the Gates of Agony, both members of the Mogul Embassy. Page hit Leona with a buckshot lariat, dumped him out, came down to Cage and Page. They fought out onto the apron where Cage dumped him on his head with the dead eye and Brian Cage fell to the floor. So Adam Page wins the Battle Royal. Later on during the main card, Nigel McGuinness announced that the charity uh, that Hangman Page selected to receive the $50,000 donation was the Chicago Public Education Fund Powering Progress in Chicago's Public Schools. So that was the charity that he chose, which is very cool. As far as the Battle Royal itself, standard fare. It it was a Battle Royal. We see so many of these in AEW, and they all sort of run together. There was really nothing special about this one, but it was a nice thing that they did. We had Athena teaming up with Diamante and Mercedes Martinez to take on Willow Nightingale, Sky Blue, and Hikaru Shida. The match broke down. Athena and Shida, they were left standing. We got a little slugfest between the two of them until both of them got pulled outside to the floor, where Willow pounced Athena into the guardrail. Mercedes was sent into the railing by Willow as well, and then she hit a Death Valley driver on Diamante. Sky Blue then hit a terrible Code Blue for the win for the baby faces. We had the acclaimed and Billy Gunn with Dennis Rodman in there. Oh, by the way, yes, Dennis Rodman was on this show. He was in their corner taking on Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh for the AEW Trios titles. At least we didn't get Leatherface on this show. Billy Gunn at the very beginning here, before the match even started, uh, Mike Posey was the referee in the ring. And Billy Gunn said, all due respect to you, uh, we, we don't want Mike Posey as the referee for this match. We have another person in mind. And he called down Aubrey Edwards, which was very upsetting to Karen Jarrett. So Aubrey Edwards was the referee. Karen tried a guitar shot later on on Billy. She got caught, though, by Aubrey. And with Aubrey distracted, with her attention diverted, this brought Dennis Rodman into the ring, and he broke a guitar over Satnam Singh's head. Aubrey just stared at Rodman, holding holding the remaining remnants of this guitar as uh, Jay Lethal got planted with a fame-asser. The arrival... The mic drop followed from Bowens and Caster. They got the pin to put Jarrett's crew away. Uh, Dennis Rodman looked like he was having fun, so at least that makes one of us. So then we get to the main card here. That was the appetizer. Now we got to the main course. And the main card opened with Better Than You Bebe, MJF and Adam Cole defending their Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles against the team of Alex Reynolds and John Silver. Of the Dark Order. This is what the AEW World Champion was doing at All Out this year. 
He was defending the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles against the Dark Order. That was certainly a choice. Crowd chanted for a kangaroo kick and a double clothesline, which Reynolds saved his partner from. MJF yelled to the crowd about this man. He was pointing to Alex Reynolds in the ring. He said, this man helped train me. And he got the crowd to chant sportsmanship. And he went for a handshake. And as soon as and Alex Reynolds did not trust this man, but as soon as he went in for the handshake, MJF poked him in the eye. And he looked very proud of himself. So MJF, he was still selling the effects of the neck. You remember that uh, awful spot from All In last weekend where Adam Cole dropped him on the edge of the ring steps with a brain buster. So he was still selling the neck. Evil Uno was outside. He took the referee. And Alex Reynolds got a cheap shot in with a chair shot to the back of MJF's neck. The doctors checked on MJF, and they had to help him to the back. So Adam Cole watches his partner get carried off to the back, and now it's a handicap match. Now it is two-on-one here in this match. And so he was alone for several minutes. Eventually, we got a double down. Crowd started chanting for MJF. And right on cue, as soon as they start chanting for MJF's name, what happens here? MJF. Here he comes, being held back by trainers and being held back by agents. He's pushing his way through, back down to the ring. He makes the hot tag. We got a double eye poke and a double noggin knocker as Excalibur compared MJF to Michael Jordan in the famous flu game. We got a miscommunication by Silver and Reynolds that led to a kangaroo kick and the crowd exploded. Evil Uno ate a super kick on the apron. Champions called for the double clothesline and they nailed Alex Reynolds with the double clothesline and they got the pin to retain their tag team titles. The match was fine. It was, it was fine. Was it a pay-per-view match? No. No, it was not. It was a, it was a match. Uh, the crowd wanted the double clothesline. They were very happy that they got the double clothesline. The real interesting part actually had nothing to do with the match. The real interesting part had to do with what happened after the match. So as MJF is holding his neck, and he is making his way back up the ramp to the locker room, Samoa Joe's music plays. He's not waiting. He's on his way down to the ring because he's up next. He's got a match coming up next. As Samoa Joe passes by MJF, Joe gave him a little shove, and he cracked a smile. He looks so proud of himself. Samoa Joe looks so proud of himself for that. And, of course, if you know, you know what that is a callback to. What that is a callback to is this moment right here from NXT TakeOver Brooklyn many years ago. There's a little bit of history there between Samoa Joe and MJF. See, that was a very different MJF. That was MJF from like a lifetime ago. So a uh, a not-so-subtle callback there from TakeOver Brooklyn. He got him again. MJF is not very happy about the shove. So he decides to charge back down to the ring, and he attacks Samoa Joe, which is never a smart thing to do. I don't know why you would do that. That sounds very stupid. Samoa Joe almost immediately gets him in a guillotine. Security and agents, they rush to the ring. Joe is is smirking. MJF is all pissed off and angry as they're holding him back. And ultimately, he gets escorted to the back. 
And so now I guess we have our favorite in the Eliminator tournament that they said they're going to be having a, a tournament to crown a number one contender for MJF at Grand Slam September 20th in New York City. I think we have a new favorite. Thy name is Samoa Joe. I did not expect that, but I am all for it. MJF and Samoa Joe is the match I, w- I wasn't even thinking of, but it's the match I need to see. Anything to get Joe on AEW television. Joe is one of those talents. He's been Ring of Honor television champion now, I think, for most of the year. It's kind of like Athena. She's been the Ring of Honor women's champion for basically the entire year. And we don't get to see her very often. Samoa Joe, we see him a little more often. You know, he was working with Punk. He was in the Owen. But uh, any excuse to get Samoa Joe back on AEW television is fine with me. So uh, I am very much looking forward to that, if that is, in fact, the match that we're going to be getting in a few weeks. Because they do have a pay-per-view coming up on October 1st. So it's not just Grand Slam and then Full Gear. We have Grand Slam, and then 11 days later, we have Wrestle Dream, which is on pay-per-view in Seattle. That's their new pay-per-view. So it could be either one of those shows. But I guess with this tournament, it would make sense for Joe to be the one to go all the way to the finals and win. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Speaking of, we had Samoa Joe up next defending his Ring of Honor television championship, or should I say Samoa Bro, one-on-one with Shane Taylor. Kevin Kelly said that this should not last very long with uh, heavyweight fights usually not going the full 15 rounds. Uh, It ended up going around six minutes, and it turned into a slugfest, slugfest between two big men. Taylor got a lot of offense in here in this match on Joe. Uh, He had him rock there for a little bit. Joe, though, hit a massive elbow suicida to the floor. Joe connected with his Manhattan drop, big boot, senton combo. Taylor kicked out a one. Taylor again clocked Joe with a lariat, but while he was on the apron, Joe managed to lock on the rear naked choke. Taylor draped Joe over the ropes and then hit a Tower of London stunner variation before hitting a big splash for a two count. Taylor fired off some more lariats before Joe exploded with one of his own, and Taylor just crumbled to the mat. We got another slugfest. Joe finally hit a series of knee lifts, got the coquina clutch applied. And that was enough for the tap out and the submission win for Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe lost at Wembley Stadium last Sunday, so this was a needed rebound win for him. Uh, a loss, by the way, looking back on it, that was Look, a complete everyone, waste. It's Samoa Bro. There he is, Samoa Bro. Hey, Charlie, thank you, man. Thank you for the super chat. So, yeah, in retrospect, Joe losing that match was kind of a waste. 
But this was a nice rebound win for him. Uh, him teasing the match with MJF before this kind of gave away the finish anyway. Because if they're going to do something with Samoa Joe and MJF, you're not going to have Samoa Joe lose to Shane Taylor, who half the people watching probably don't even know who Shane Taylor is unless they follow Ring of Honor. And not everybody follows Ring of Honor. You're not going to have Samoa Joe lose to that guy and then go wrestle MJF. That doesn't make any sense. So they kind of gave it away. Uh, I thought Taylor looked good. You know, I thought Shane Taylor looked good. But it would have been nice of them to feature him a little bit more on television, on AEW television, in the weeks leading up to this show. Uh, all we got was a, a video package on television the other night. That's it. That's all we got. But uh, anyway, now let's let's bring on the MJF and Samoa Joe promos. That's what I'd like to see. We have Darby Allen with Nick Wayne challenging Luchasaurus with Christian Cage in his corner. Christian Cage is a father. Nick Wayne has no father. TNT Championship on the line. Kevin Kelly tagged out for this match. Jim Ross tagged in. Darby has said, over the past week, since the Wembley show, that he badly messed up his spine, doing a coffin drop from the top rope onto the lid of the actual coffin, which was on the floor, which is an insanely stupid bump to take. But that basically is Darby Allen's career in a nutshell. It's one stupid stunt after another. So his back, his spine, it's all messed up. And they incorporated that into the story of the match. Darby had his ribs wrapped. He had tape on his lower back. The match spilled to ringside very quickly. Luchasaurus shoved Darby back first into the barricade and then picked him up by the legs and flung him into the ring steps. Christian then walked over to Luchasaurus. We got a tight shot of Christian and Luchasaurus. They took the camera away from Darby. And we heard Christian telling him to... uh, Basically punish him and maim him. You know, he's not finished yet. He needs some more. They cut back to Darby. Darby comes up bleeding. Bleeding heavily from the head. I know the feeling. So Luchasaurus, he places the steps over Darby's lower back, and then he starts walking and stepping on the steps. In the ring, Luchasaurus went for a choke slam. Darby, though, flipped out of it and rolled him up for a two count. Allen went up top, dove at the dinosaur who did not budge. So he basically just sort of bounced off of him and then fell on the mat. He removed Darby's rib wrap. He placed it over his face. He started pulling on it, yanking on it before sending him back outside. Darby shoved Luchasaurus into the ring post, and then he sat him on a chair. Darby went up top, did a flip dive onto Luchasaurus on the floor. So both men got back into the ring. Darby went for a coffin drop. Luchasaurus, though, caught him and suplexed him. The dinosaur put Darby in an inverted body vice. Christian on the outside, he has a white towel. And Nick Wayne is right there. And Christian begins to encourage Nick Wayne to throw in the towel to save his friend. Because Darby is in a bad way right now. He's got the bad back. right? He's, he's in pain. And Christian wants Nick Wayne to to do the right thing and show some mercy for his friend and and throw in the towel. Darby, though, he escapes, and he hits a tope suicida that took out Christian. Darby returned to the ring. Luchasaurus caught him by the throat while he was on the ropes. Darby bit his hand, 
and he hit a code red from the ropes. Took Luchasaurus all the way down, and that got him. So it got him a three count, but it really didn't. So he went for the pin. The referee had to hold up his count because Luchasaurus was very late on getting the shoulder up. And this happened a few times on this show. There were there were some, shall we say, close calls that were a little closer than they should have been, where it made the referee look foolish because he had to hold up. This was one of those times. So it was a three count, but they counted it as a two and a half. Rick Knox had to hold up the count. And uh, there were some boos from the crowd for that because they saw it. I mean, they know what happened. Darby went back up top. Cage hit. Uh, Nick Wayne from behind out on the floor with a chair. Nick Wayne now is face down on the ground. And Christian takes his head and he places it on a chair. And he grabs another chair. So Darby is on the top rope. It looks like he's probably setting up for a coffin drop. But he looks outside and Christian makes eye contact with him and says, What are you going to do? If you do it, he's going to do the concerto. And he's going to smash Nick Wayne's skull. So now Darby has a decision to make. He struggled with what to do. And he took so long, Luchasaurus cut him off. And then he hit Darby with a tombstone pile driver. But when he dropped Darby on his head, he held on, stood back up, hit a second tombstone pile driver. Then he st- stood up again with Darby. And this time, he fl- from a tombstone position, he flung him upward, basically into a snake eyes, where Darby landed face first on the top turnbuckle. And then he clobbered Darby with a lariat to the back of the head. And he pinned him to retain the TNT Championship. Now, after the match, Christian was setting up for a concerto on Darby. And Luchasaurus was going to force Nick Wayne to watch. Sean Spears, Action Andretti, Darius Martin, a bunch of other people ran out. They chased off Cage and Luchasaurus. Up to this point in the show, I mean, we're still early in the show. But up to this point in the show, this was the best match. On the show so far, it would be topped, but it was the best match up to this point. And I'm happy to see them keep the TNT title with Christian for a little while longer. I am enjoying the hell out of Christian. The the top angle right now in the company is MJF and Adam Cole. And and it's great. And it's very entertaining. My second favorite thing right now in AEW is Christian Cage. And it's not like he's wrestling on television every single week. We don't even get to see him on every show. But this uh, version of heel Christian here on AEW television, walking around as if he is the TNT champion, is brilliant. And I want to see more of it. And like I said, the second best thing I think going on AEW television right now. This right here, what they did at the end, because they had Darby was down for a very long time. He was unconscious. They had trainers come into the ring and officials to check on him, uh, and he was laying in there for a while. This felt like an angle to write him off of television because he's got some real injuries. He's beat up, and he probably needs some time off. This felt like a write-off. Which begs the question, then, what becomes of Nick Wayne? What of the TNT Championship? Well, it just so happens that there is a pay-per-view coming up in less than a month called Wrestle Dream. And Wrestle Dream is going to be at the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. And it just so happens that Nick Wayne is from Seattle. And so I can already see it. We're probably going to get Nick Wayne challenging for the TNT Championship. And Nick Wayne, I, I would think he would be the favorite. 
I think Nick Wayne is not only going to challenge for the TNT Championship, he's probably going to win it. Now, whether it's from Luchasaurus or Christian, I don't know. It should be from Christian. For all the shitty, shitty things that Christian has said about this kid, it probably should be Christian. It probably would be the better match. But I think that's where this, this whole thing is headed. I think Darby goes away for a little bit. Maybe he reappears on that show. Provides the assist that gives Nick Wayne the victory. But I think we're headed to Nick Wayne challenging for that title in Seattle. I think that's what this is setting up. Now, up next, I said that there were other matches that topped this one on the shelf. It was immediately topped by the very next match, which was Powerhouse Hobbs one-on-one against Miro. We were not even 10 seconds into this match before we got a grown-ass men reference from Jim Ross. So he was very quick to mention, hey, look, we got two grown-ass men in the ring here. And then he also said that these were two of the great young stars that AEW was building around, even though Miro is going to be celebrating his 38th birthday in a few months. Apparently, he, he is one of the young studs here in AEW. This is the first time that I have seen a match. I can honestly sit here and tell you, I have seen a lot of professional wrestling matches. I've seen a lot of professional wrestling shows over the last 30-plus years, okay? 30, 35 years seen a lot of wrestling. I can never remember a a match that I watched where I saw 10,000 people in unison together chanting things like slap that meat, meat forever, and holy meat. These were real chants that came out of people's mouths here during this match. Holy meat. This is after we got chance of Scissor Me Daddy S earlier in the show. I wonder what Eric Cartman would have to say about all this. I wonder. So this is our second Hoss match. Of the, I love that word, Hoss. Like Hoss Funk. What they called Dory when he was in WWE. He was Hoss Funk. This is our second Hoss match of the night. Of course, we had Joe and Shane Taylor before. Very different than what we're used to seeing in AEW, and and, and very different from the last match, which had Big Man, Little Man. This was Big Man, Big Man. Each man was able to throw the other one to the mat after uh, some early lockups. Miro was unloading with strikes in the corner. Miro tried to explode with a lariat, but Hobbs... (laughs) Did I really write? I guess I did write that. Meet forever. Miro tried to explode. I could already see where this review is going. Hobbs did not budge, or bulge, budge, whatever. He ran through Miro with a lariat of his own. Miro battled back with a a great drop kick. Hobbs used his strength. He hit an overhead belly to belly, and then Hobbs missed a corner charge. He spilled outside where Miro met him with a somersault senton off the apron to the floor. So back in the ring, both men, they collided just repeatedly with charges and the ropes, and the crowd at this point is chanting, meet. Miro hit a succession of lariats. Hobbs went up top. Miro cut him off and hit a huge superplex. And then Miro hit the thrust kick, but he missed the second one. Hobbs hit a spinning power slam for a two count. Miro came back. He called for game over, but Hobbs was able to power out of it. And he stood up with Miro on his back. He drove him backwards into the corner to 
to break the hold. Hobbs then caught a leaping Miro with a spine buster for a very close two count. And Hobbs tried game over. Miro, though, answered with a spine buster and then locked on the game over again. And this time, Hobbs tapped out. That was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun watching this match. And my God, I can't remember the last time I saw Miro in AEW in a match this long. When was the last time we saw Miro have a match, a singles match this long? You know, even when they started Collision and, they, and we knew that we were going to get Andrade and Miro and some of these faces that we haven't seen a lot. Andrade's had a few matches. I mean, he's been gone recently, but he's had a few matches on Collision that were pretty long. He had that match with Buddy Matthews. Miro comes in, he has these squash matches. He's done in three minutes. So it was nice to see him have an actual, you know, full wrestling match here. And these two guys just went in there and they just beat the holy hell out of each other. And the fans were having fun with all the different chants. Uh, I hate to see Hobbs taking the loss here, but somebody had to lose. But we weren't done yet, because when the match was over, both men shook hands. Hobbs ended up attacking Miro from behind. As soon as he turned his back, Hobbs attacked him, and he starts to choke him out. And then we hear music, and we see that on the Tron, they have... On the screen, the words hot and flexible. And out walks the hot and flexible Lana, or the former Lana, Miro's wife. I think it was always inevitable that we were going to see her at some point in this company. So here comes Lana. She kicks her shoes off. She grabs a steel chair. She climbs into the ring, and she hits Hobbs in the back with a chair to get him off her husband. Hobbs no-sells this, he smiles, and he stands up, he turns around, and the crowd is chanting, beat that meat. Finally, a chant that makes sense. I love how it took until Lana got in the ring for the crowd to start chanting, beat that, beat that meat. It's fucking people. Yeah, if you were wondering if the fans in Chicago were going to rebel, if they were going to hijack the show, if they were going to be upset... These people were having a fucking blast in this match. All they wanted to talk about was meat. They don't give a shit about muffins. They want meat. So they're chanting to beat that meat. <laughs> why why am I why am I sitting here at one o'clock in the morning talking about beating meat? What is this? What am I doing with my life? How did I get here? What is going on? Yeah, that's right. Then later on in the show, I have to talk about I have to talk about a group that calls itself the Bang Bang Gang. Let me give people the wrong impression here. We can't be having this. Hobbs went to go walk towards Lana. Miro got up and he blasted Hobbs in the. <laughs> he blasted Hobbs in the pet. <laughs> In the back with a chair, and Hobbs turned around, and then Miro blasted him with an unprotected chair shot to the head, which was just fucking stupid. Lana smiles at Miro, and it looks like, wow, we're going to have a reunion here between the two lovebirds. But Miro has a look on his face like he wasn't expecting her to be there, and he's he's just sort of stunned. And he mutters to himself, she's not real, she's not real. And so he leaves the ring, and he leaves poor Lana standing there all by herself, and she looks all sad and dejected. 
So, again, it felt like we were going to eventually get Lana in this company anyway. I don't know where this is going, but at least Miro has an actual story. Now the guy has a story. Again, I don't know why he acted that way and how long it's going to take for them to officially come together, but at least the man has a story, which has to mean that he'll be on television, right? One would think that he'll start to be on television working. Maybe now that his wife is there, if they're going to be working together, maybe they'll be on television more consistently. I don't need to see her wrestling. I certainly hope that's not the plan. But honestly, when Lana first came to WWE and they put her and Miro together, they put her and Rusev together, that was her at her best. In the early days of the Rusev character, when she would come out and she would be the mouthpiece and she was you know, playing the, the part of his manager, that was the best role for her. That was when she was at her best. So if that's the idea here that she's going to manage him, I got no issue with that. We had Chris Statlander against Ruby Soho for the TBS championship. Let's let's leave the meat behind. Let's leave that. Red meat is bad for you. Let's leave that behind. Let's go for the dessert. TBS championship on the line. Soraya was in Ruby's corner. She had her new AW Women's World Championship around her waist. Statlander hit her spinning fisherman's driver for a near fall. And applied a gory special, but Ruby countered into a roll-up for two. Ruby countered the Sunday Night Fever into a roll-up before both ladies got up. They collided with cross-body attempts, and so we got a double-down. Statlander got a fireman's carry. Soho, though, turned it into a Poison Rana, a DDT, and a Hurricane Rana for a close near fall. Statlander was able to hit a Blue Thunder Bomb, but it was a brief distraction from Soraya outside. It was very vocal during this match, and... At one point, she walked over. She ripped up a fan sign. So there was a brief distraction from Soraya. And that allowed Ruby to hit no future and then destination unknown. And Statlander kicked out. So we're just we're just out here burying Ruby's finishes here. It's not, it's not bad enough to bury one. Let's bury two. Soraya then took the referee. And Ruby wanted to use the spray paint. But Tony Storm emerged like Loch Ness from underneath the ring. And she went over and she took the can away from Ruby. And she's smiling and she's she's spraying it into the air. And Ruby is confused by this. What are you doing? She turns around and she got dropped on her head with Sunday Night Fever. And Chris Statlander pins her and retains the TBS championship. Uh, they had a good match and it seals the fate of the outcasts. I mean, at least as far as Tony Storm is concerned. We saw what happened. At All In last weekend, there was some trouble in paradise during that match. Here she cost Ruby possibly the TBS title. I don't see how the outcast can really be a thing anymore. And I'm and I'm fine with that because I actually like this new gimmick that Tony Storm has going on. It, look, it beats the hell out of just having the three of them go around like some bootleg NWO spray painting people green. I, I'm enjoying Tony Storm's new Marilyn Monroe starlet character. She's lost her mind. She lost her championship, and she lost her mind. I think she's doing great. She doesn't need the outcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then we had first truly great. We had some good ones, but this was the first truly great match of the night. Absolute Ricky Starks, one-on-one with the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, a no-disqualification strap match that was set up on collision last night on short notice. It was set up on 24 hours notice. Brian Danielson was the replacement for CM Punk. The likely main event of this show would have been CM Punk and Ricky Starks for the real world championship in a strap match. Ricky Steamboat was there. I'm sure he would have been there regardless. That was going to be the main event of the show. I'm I'm fairly certain of that. And Brian Danielson was the surprise replacement last night on Collision. A more than suitable replacement. This was fucking unbelievable. In, in, in a couple of words, that's how I would describe this match. Fucking unbelievable. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, he took Jim Ross's place on commentary for this. And one of my one of my favorite parts of this match. As great as the match itself was, and and yeah, as you'll see, I mean this the brutality here was just off the page. But one of my favorite parts about this match was on commentary, Ricky Steamboat referred to Brian Danielson as Brian Donaldson before the match started. I know I heard it. I know I heard him refer to him as Brian Donaldson. And I'll excuse it because he's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and he's cool as shit. But Brian Donaldson. So Danielson entered to final countdown yet again like he did in his last match at Forbidden Door. Now if I remember, I think Tony Khan said in the scrum after that it's very expensive This is not going to be his music permanently from now on, but I guess whatever they paid for it, I think they got two uses out of it. One of them was at Forbidden Door. This might have been number two, and this may be it. Uh, I guess we'll see when he comes out on television this week. So, But anybody expecting that this is now going to be his permanent theme song, that's not what Tony Khan was saying a few months ago. So this, I hope you enjoyed it, because this may well have been the last time. Although they're going to be in Seattle next. It would be a shame for him to come out in Seattle and not come out to this this music. But I will always pop to uh, hearing Final Countdown when uh, Brian Danielson comes to the ring. So Starks, before he even got the uh, strap cuffed to his arm, he attacked prior to the bell, and he starts whipping Danielson with his weight belt. He's you know and the weight belts have a lot of of heft to them, and he's not holding back. You know, and he starts whipping him with that weight belt repeatedly. They're out on the floor. He's cracking Danielson with the buckle of the belt. Danielson comes up busted open. So this was our second bloody match of the night. It would not be our last, but it was our second 
sighting of blood here on this show. Aubrey Edwards called for the bell finally to start the match officially. Starks chokes Danielson with the strap. Now he's bleeding profusely. He's being dragged around all over the floor. I should mention also, uh, Danielson is, is, you know, back from his broken arm. He did have a wrap, and it looked like underneath the wrap there may have been some kind of padding. So maybe it was some, maybe it was something like Lex Luger. Remember they used to make Lex Luger wear the black sleeve for the loaded forearm after the uh, titanium plate that he had implanted into his arm from the motorcycle accident. Uh, I couldn't get a good look if it was a black sleeve, but he did have something on his arm. And he did look as if he had not been working out uh, his upper body. Uh, he didn't have as much definition as he did, I think, previously, because it would make sense. If the guy has a broken arm, he may not be able to work out and 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 lift the same way that he did before. So that was something else that I noticed as well. But supposedly he got cleared. He got cleared this past week, and he was good to go. I, I wonder, you know, I question that. Just You could tell he was taking great pains to try to shield the arm and not bump on it as much. Starks continued the assault in the ring. Danielson fought back with headbutts and kicks. Starks, though, whipped him on the side of the head with the strap. We're not just talking about these guys whipping each other in the back, whipping each other in the arm. These guys were whipping each other up and down, left and right. It didn't matter. Head, neck, chest, back. My God. So he whips him on the side of the head with the strap. And it's it's just... It's making that noise. I mean, you can hear it reverberating throughout the entire building. This is the fucking United Center. It's a big building. Every whip, every swing of that strap, I mean, it just, you could hear it in the upper deck. So Starks wanted a superplex. Danielson slid through. He crotched him. And Danielson begins to violently, and I do mean violently, whip Ricky Starks repeatedly. He's getting his revenge. He starts choking him, and he trapped Ricky in the tree of woe. So a baseball slide sent Starks to the floor. Starks, though, uses the strap to pull Danielson in, and he cracked him in the face. Starks then decides he's going to mosey on over to where the announcers are, and he's going to start talking some shit to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat instead of focusing on his opponent. And Ricky is telling him, pay attention to your opponent, pay attention to your match. So while he's doing that, uh, Danielson, it gave him time to pull Starks in. He just yanked on, like, yanking the leash, and he pulled in Starks into the ring post, and so now Ricky Starks comes up bloody. So we got uh, double juice here in this match. Danielson continued to whip Ricky as Nigel McGinnis on commentary pleaded for things to stop. And I will say, you know, it was it was getting to a point here during this match where it was kind of disturbing uh, the way they were laying these shots in. I mean, they were not holding back. This, this, uh, they weren't treating each other with kid gloves, I'll say that. Steamboat said that it was Ricky who wanted this match in the first place. Danielson hit his corner drop kicks. Ricky, though, fired out. He turned Danielson inside out with a lariat. Starks began to violently whip the hell out of Brian Danielson over and over and over again. And he's whipping him in the side of the head. He's whipping him in the neck area. He, he whipped him, it looked like in the cheek at one point, you could see the welts. You can see the blood underneath the skin. You could see the bruising on both their bodies, but especially on Danielson. He's more pale. 
But now Danielson is no selling it. He's starting to hulk up. And everybody in the building is starting to rally behind Brian Danielson. They start chanting, you fucked up. Loud chants of you fucked up. Starks, though, he's whipping him so much, he's starting to wear himself out. He's starting to gas out. And Danielson answers with some very uh, violent whips of his own. He kicks Starks to the point that Ricky just crumbles in a heap on the floor. And the fans were on their feet applauding this. Now, at this point in the match, Big Bill showed up. You remember Ricky when he was storyline suspended. He got a manager's license. He was managing Big Bill on television. I think he managed him for one match, I think. So Big Bill shows up, and he went to go attack Danielson when Ricky Steamboat says, not on my watch, you're not. He throws down the headset. 70-year-old Ricky the Dragon Steamboat stands up. Big Bill is, is seven feet tall. And Ricky Steamboat walks over to Big Bill, pulls him down off the apron, and he starts to wail away. He throws a punch, he throws a chop. Bill has to sell for him. Thankfully, he didn't sell too long for him because it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, Ricky Ricky looks good for his age. He's still in good shape. I mean, there, there, there are guys 10 years younger than him who have wrestled, who have such bad knees they can't even bend down. So I would say Ricky Steamboat, all things considered, is moving around pretty good. But he's still 70 fucking years old. And Big Bill is twice his size. So finally, Bill goozles him, grabs him by the throat. And Danielson sees this. He follows with a... Well, actually, he launched Ricky first. There was a dive that came. But he launched Ricky over the top rope onto Big Bill. Then Danielson went up to the top rope and he hit a dive. And was very cautious to protect his arm on the way down so he didn't land on it. Danielson went for his kicks once they got back into the ring. Starks exploded with a spear out of nowhere for a close two count. Ricky went for the Rochambeau. Danielson slid out, hit the Busaiku knee, and Starks kicked out of that. Danielson announced to the world at this point that he is going to kick this man's fucking head in. Well, he didn't say it as kind of nicely as I just did. And the stomps followed before he applied the label lock but he wrapped the strap around Ricky's throat. So he did the spot wherever he choked out Justin Roberts with his tie many years ago during the Nexus invasion angle on Raw, and he got fired for it. This time he wrapped the strap around Ricky's throat as Justin Roberts watched on from ringside, and he started yanking hard back on the strap. Ricky's eyes looked like they were about to bulge out of his head. He, you know, His face was turning beet red. You know, he was selling this great. Eventually, after a while, he went nighty-night. He passed out. And the referee called for the stoppage, giving Brian Danielson the win. When the match was over, they played him out again to final countdown. Ricky Steamboat had gotten into the ring after the match to celebrate. They both left together. And once they got to the stage, Danielson held up Ricky's arm uh, to pay respect to him. And they both went to the back together. Holy shit. Holy shit, this was a symphony of violence that I was not expecting between these two men. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I, you know, sometimes people, and, and even myself, can be prone to exaggeration or there's a recency bias with certain things. I was racking my brain. I've seen a lot of strap matches in wrestling, even the WWE ones where you have to like touch the turnbuckles. Of all the strap matches that I have ever seen, this one right here was the most brutal. I mean, if you think about the essence of what a strap match is, you're bound by this leather strap and you use it as a weapon. 
and you whip your opponent raw. That's basically what you do. You whip them. You you try to, you know, whip the skin off their fucking bodies. These guys were laying these whips in. I said it earlier, like they owed each other money. And it felt to me like this was Brian Danielson's way of saying, all right, look, you know, Ricky, you're one of the uh, young studs here in this company. We see big things in your future. You're somebody I want to work with. You're somebody who has the potential to be look, top everyone, star in this company. Samoa bro. Gonna have to pay your dues. Because you're in the ring with me now. This was like an initiation for Ricky Starks. And Ricky gave it right back to him. And I'm sure Brian Danielson loved every fucking second of it. He looked like he was I mean, look, he got he got to take the lashes from the leather strap, which I'm sure he enjoys in some weird, perverse way. He got to bleed. We know how much he loves to bleed. It's one of the reasons he left WWE. Vince McMahon would not let him bleed. So he was probably on cloud nine during this match. I'm sure he's happy to be back in the ring from the broken arm as well. Uh, It's too bad it was a week too late and he couldn't be at Wembley last weekend. But man, I mean, they were not holding back as far as whipping each other in the face and the neck, which is just, it's just, it's fucking awful just to watch. Just imagine what that must feel like. But just, it makes such a great sound that everybody in the crowd, you look at the first five rows and everybody is wincing. I'm sitting here at home and I'm wincing. It was disturbing in in certain parts. You just want to look away and like, all right, enough. We get it enough. Jesus Christ. Uh, But man, I mean, it's exactly what you, you would expect out of a strap match. And you can see the welts forming on their bodies. I'm sure it's going to be a very unpleasant morning when they wake up. I love the finish, though. Let me talk about the finish here. Brian Danielson winning was was never in doubt to me. Once I knew he was the replacement, I didn't think Ricky was going to win. But I love the finish because Ricky Starks never tapped out. Ricky Starks passed out. And the announcers made a point to mention that. That he did not give up. He did not tap out. And of course, what does it remind you of? It reminds you of Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. Now, that ended up being his his just this big moment for him that launched him, helped launch him uh, to that next level in his career. I'm not saying that Ricky Starks will follow that same path, but that could be his Austin-esque moment as far as getting him over as a babyface. Now, they just turned him recently. He was a babyface. The people liked him. And then he disrespected Jushin Thunder Liger, and he disrespected Ricky Steamboat. You want to get heel heat, you beat up Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He won the Owen, and he got a big head. So they just turned him heel. But CM Punk is also gone. And so whatever plans they may have had for him to work with Punk, and and maybe they would have had a match tonight, maybe that would have been it. You know, would have been blown off in the main event tonight. Punk is gone, and there is a void now. There is a hole that has to be filled on collision. Now, maybe that hole can be filled. (laughs) There's that reference again. Maybe that void can be filled by Brian Danielson. Maybe we start to see Brian Danielson on collision and he kind of takes that leadership role and takes collision as his own and he can work with all these people. But Ricky Starks could be a top baby face on that show. So even though they just turned him, I mean, look, they just turned AR Fox and then they shot that angle a few weeks ago. I mean, I know it's a different circumstance, but given the events of, of the last week and Punk being gone now, I think this might be a good time to turn him back babyface again. Because this right here is something that they can build on. He took a tremendous amount of punishment, and he never backed down. He went toe-to-toe with arguably the best in the world, 
And when it was over, call it just his dumb pride or, or whatever, his toughness, he didn't give up. That's a baby face. You can build a top baby face around someone with those qualities. So that's something that I would definitely consider, especially now that Punk is out of the picture. Uh, this could be a time for someone like Ricky to step up again as a babyface in a big way on that show. But welcome back, Brian Danielson. Holy shit, talk about a comeback match. Doesn't get any better than that. This week's episode is sponsored by ExpressVPN. If you are a Netflix user, then you know that Netflix has tens of thousands of shows and movies. But what you may not know is that you're only getting access to a fraction of those movies and shows. Seriously, they're holding out on you. Depending on where you live, you only have access to some, not all, of what they offer. ExpressVPN can help fix that, though. You see, watching Netflix without ExpressVPN, it's like paying for a gym membership and only having access to the treadmill over in the corner. Here's how it works. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so that you can control where you want Netflix to think that you're located. And with almost 100 different server locations to choose from, that opens you up to thousands of hours of new content. And it doesn't work with Netflix only. You can use it with other streaming services also, like YouTube and BBC iPlayer. Me, I've watched Pulp Fiction on Canadian Netflix, and I've watched episodes of Modern Family on UK Netflix. I always get a kick out of just trying different locations and seeing what pops up. I may not have been at Wembley Stadium for All In, but I was in the UK in spirit using ExpressVPN. And all I had to do was open up the app, select a location, tap one button to connect, and refresh the page. That's it. That's how easy it is. I love it over other VPNs because it's super fast. I never have any lag, I never have any buffering, and it has the added benefit of encrypting my data so that I can browse securely. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash solomonster. Be sure to use my link at expressvpn.com slash solomonster to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. We had Eddie Kingston and Katsuyori Shibata taking on Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta up next. Kingston wore a shirt that read Claudio Sucks Eggs as a tribute to Terry Funk. Yuta and Shibata, they grappled early with Shibata connecting with some Kawada kicks. Apparently Kawada was in town. I saw pictures from StarCast, I think it was. Eddie Kingston was back with Shibata. He just met Shibata over in Japan. Shibata came over to the States and uh, he was in town. They mentioned that during the show. So, Shibata uses the Kawada kicks, and Claudio wants the tag. And so, Yuta gives him the tag. And we get Claudio hitting strikes, though he missed the drop kick. So did Shibata with his penalty kick. He missed that. Eddie Kingston tagged him, because he wanted a Claudio in the worst way. And as soon as Eddie tags into the match, Claudio says, peace out. And he bailed, tagged in Yuta. He got his ass kicked by Kingston before Kingston went outside, and we got a brawl between Eddie Kingston and Claudio, and, and the people were popping for it. Until Yuta connected on a dive, and Claudio drove Kingston into the guardrail. So Eddie remained isolated until an STO on Yuta that allowed Shibata to finally make the hot tag. Shibata and Claudio, they took turns with some strikes in the corner. Shibata was the one who stood tall at the end of it. He hit that stalling running drop kick in the corner that he's known for. Shibata later on got Yuta locked in a submission hold, and he no-sold strikes from Claudio. When Claudio came over to try to break it up, instead of 
selling it instead of breaking the hold, Shibata ended up getting an ankle lock on Claudio. So he had dueling submissions here at the same time. Kingston made the tag and planted Yuta with a DDT after Wheeler tried to skin the cat. We got some machine gun chops from Eddie that led to an exploder. Claudio cut him off, though, with a big boot. Shibata and Claudio, they traded uppercuts until an overhand right by Shibata dropped Claudio with the fight continuing outside. Eddie and Yuta, they had a little exchange, and then finally, finally, we had Eddie Kingston and Claudio. They started throwing bombs until Claudio hit a neutralizer, only got two. Kingston floated out of a Ricola bomb and hit the spinning back fist and a Northern Lights bomb for two. Yuta ate a back fist of his own, and he fell into the choke by Shibata out on the apron. Meanwhile, Eddie turns around, and he turns around right into a huge European uppercut. And with an uppercut, Claudio gets the pin on Eddie Kingston. Uh, It was a good match. The finish, though, felt like it came out of nowhere. Uh, And I was surprised, honestly, to see Eddie take the loss. Maybe I shouldn't be, because... It's yet another loss to Claudio for Eddie Kingston. I guess that's part of the story. Uh, But I thought that they would have the babyfaces go over and they would have Eddie pin Yuta, not Claudio, but he would pin Yuta uh, to build to, you know, the eventual singles match between the two. I'm I'm still hoping they do something with them at Grand Slam in a few weeks uh, in New York. I think that would be the perfect place for it. Uh, But if Eddie is going to win the Ring of Honor world title at the end of all this, Tony Khan is going to want to do that on the Ring of Honor pay-per-view, probably. And there is no Ring of Honor pay-per-view until December. That'll be Final Battle. I I still would love to see it at Arthur Ashe in a few weeks in New York. Uh, He may want to milk it and drag it out for a little bit longer, but whenever they finally do the match, it should be title for title. Eddie is the New Japan Strong Openweight Champion. Claudio is the Ring of Honor World Champion. Have Eddie Kingston go, look, You've, been, you, you've had my number now for a while. I give you credit for that. But you know what? I want you in the ring one more time, one-on-one. I'll put my title on the line if you put yours on the line. And then you get a champion against champion match with Eddie getting the big win in the end. But I can see Tony Khan wanting to hold off a few more months and do it on a uh, Ring of Honor pay-per-view so that they can maybe get them in the main event spot. You know, on a show like Grand Slam, they may not headline the show. On a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, they would be the main event. And then if Eddie wins, he gets the big celebration. They go off the air. It's a happy moment. You know, I get it. I get that. You know what else I get? I get Kenny Omega against Konosuke Takeshita up next. And that's pretty fucking cool. This is the match I was looking forward to coming into this pay-per-view. Omega was wearing his DDT throwback gear for this one. And he came into this with two wins over Takeshita from their days years ago in DDT. Last Sunday at Wembley, Takeshita pinned Omega to win their trios match for his team, which is what led us to where we are here tonight on this show, where we finally get the singles match in AEW between these two men. This is a very different Takeshita, too. This is a an older Takeshita who's even better than he was back then. He's so fucking good. He is such a fucking great professional wrestler. Everything he does looks like it has impact to it. Uh, He's he's very smooth in the ring. You know, some people, you watch them, and sometimes they they look like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's coming next. 
Some people don't work well together with others. Every time I have seen Takeshita in a big match or a singles match, uh, he always shines in these situations. And this right here was the biggest match of his career. In front of the biggest audience, the biggest match, the biggest opponent. This was a huge night for Takeshita. He got the best of Omega after the initial feeling out process. He dropped Kenny on his neck. And this was in the first, I think, 90 seconds of the match. He dropped Omega on his head with a high angle backdrop driver. Kenny seems to enjoy landing on his head. He got dropped on his head with the Tiger driver in the match with Will Ospreay back at Forbidden Door. And a lot of people made hay about that. Kenny had to respond and, and basically says, look, I know what I'm doing. Shut the fuck up. That's basically what he said. But you watch him and he, you know, he's constantly getting dropped on his head. And it's just one of those things where it's like, all right, you know, it's, it's your funeral. I mean, if that's what you want, you want to shorten your career, right? you know, hey, it's his choice. But that was very scary. Now, on the floor later on, Takeshita hit a brain buster. And then he pulled out chairs. The referee, though, scolded him for it. With the referee's attention diverted, Don Callis, who was out there with Takeshita, he started stacking the chairs on top of Omega. And Takeshita then, from the ring, hit a senton over the top onto the pile of chairs with Omega underneath. Takeshita was mocking Omega before hitting a haluva kick and a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. So Sami Zayn would be proud. Takeshita continued to pick Omega apart until Kenny got his knees up on a top rope senton attempt. Jumping knee sent Takeshita outside. Omega followed with a Terminator dive. Missile drop kick connected after that, followed by two snapdragons, a knee strike, and a poison rana. Both men flipped out of German suplex attempts. They traded pumping knee strikes until Takeshita turned him inside out with a great lariat. Omega floated out of a powerbomb into one of his own, and the V-trigger connected. Takeshita, though, countered a one-winged angel attempt into a crunchy. Omega, he barely had any strength after this. His wegs, His wegs. His, le- <laughs> his legs, peg warmer, his legs were wobbly. I transposed the letters. His wegs. <laughs> his, his wegs were wobbly. Sound like Elmer fucking Fudd here. Takeshita fought back with forearms with Omega answering with a desperation lariat. Omega now wanted an avalanche. One-winged angel. Takeshita escaped. He hit a beautiful avalanche blue thunderbomb. The prettiest blue thunderbomb that I've ever seen. Unfortunately, he didn't win with it, but he got a close near fall out of it. Takeshita took the referee. Callis tried to then stab Kenny Omega in the head with a screwdriver. But he missed. Kenny moved out of the way. And instead, he stabbed the canvas. And the screwdriver got stuck in the mat. So Takeshita now, he gets hit with a ripcord V-trigger, and he's in the ropes. He's kind of hanging over the middle rope. He's half dead. And he reaches down because he sees right there, stuck in the mat, is the screwdriver. So he reaches down. He grabs the screwdriver. Kenny picks him up in position for a one-winged angel. Paul Turner sees that Takeshita is about to use the screwdriver, and he rips it away from him. Both men traded roll-ups. Takeshita hit a wheelbarrow throw into just a wicked knee strike. And Omega, though, kicked out. Crowd was going nuts for this. 
Takeshita pulled down his knee pad to expose the knee, and he wrecked Omega with a home run knee strike to get the pin, much to the shock and dismay of this Chicago crowd, and much to my surprise as well, because I was expecting a Kenny Omega victory here. I didn't see Takeshita getting the fall last weekend and then winning this match here this week. Uh, but so the people in the building, they they were stunned by the finish. They got a couple of crowd shots. People were not happy or they were surprised. I love the finish, even though it was not the outcome I was expecting. I loved it. This is even better. This was an excellent pro wrestling match. I love the fact that they put Takeshita over here, that Omega put him over. That win just took him to the next level because that's the biggest win of his career. He beat a former AEW world champion in the middle of the ring at All Out at the United Center. So everything they're doing with Takeshita right now is working. And Don Callis is getting this incredible heat every time he comes out. Even the even the theme music, which is it's just like a, it's just a hum. <laughs> like it's perfect though. It's perfect for the character that he's portraying. And it's smart to have Callus with him anyway so that he can do promos for him. So everything they're doing with Takeshita right now is bang on. His work in the ring, once the bell rings, you you ring the bell, he'll go in the ring and he'll take care of the rest. I mean, his work is second to none. I'm very impressed when I see him in the ring. And so this was a huge win for him. He is the real deal. I mentioned Shinsuke Nakamura before. He just posted one tweet at 10.55 p.m. when this match was over. He just said, Take, T-A-K-E. Or Takeshita. That's it. That was the tweet. Even Shinsuke Nakamura has to acknowledge the greatness of Kanosuke Takeshita. How can you not be impressed? He liked what he saw. And the story that they were telling on commentary is that Kenny Omega continues to lose ever since he lost the services of Don Callis. And Don Callis is no longer with him. He lost to Will Ospreay Forbidden Door. He took the losing fall at Wembley Stadium last weekend. And he just lost a huge singles match here at All Out. So that's the story they're telling with those two. I'm already looking forward to the next one. So let's do it again. Let's run this back again. But this was fantastic. We had FTR and the Young Bucks up next as we approached 11 p.m. Eastern time. This is this was the point in the show where it was like, oh, we still have our main event yet to come. All right, well, uh, let, let's get through this here. FTR and the Young Bucks against Jay White, Juice Robinson, and the Guns. Very vocal, mostly negative reaction to Matt and Nick Jackson as they came out. They just had these shit-eating grins on their faces. And so, not surprising, the reaction they got as they uh, came out. But I will say, as the match wore on, it was more of a mixed reaction. I would not call it mixed so much when they first came out, although people in the building may disagree. Sometimes you, they hear stuff that's different than how we hear it on TV. Although I did actually get an email from someone, from Sal, uh, who emailed me during the show. He was way up there, but he was in the building tonight, and he said the atmosphere in there was a lot of fun because the people, as soon as the Bucks came out, it was just loud in the building. As the match wore on, it did get more mixed. At one point, you can you can see people. And you can hear them chanting, Young Bucks, Young Bucks. So the Bucks had their fans in the building, but obviously it was mostly heat that they got. And they were having fun with it. FTR set up uh, later in the match for a spike pile driver on Austin Gunn. 
that was broken up. Matt Jackson checked in, though. He helped Dax complete the move, which only led to a two count. So Dax then superplexed Austin Gunn. Cash Wheeler followed that with a top rope splash. Matt Jackson followed that with a top rope elbow drop, and that only left Nick Jackson. And he hit a 450 splash onto Austin Gunn to finish the sequence. Harwood, who was the legal man, he covered Austin. Juice Robinson, though, pulled him out of the ring. FTR then went for the shatter machine on Jay White, but Robinson broke it up. Harwood and Nick, they combined for a shatter machine on Austin. Nick took out Juice with a dive from the top rope to the floor. Matt and Dax, they hit White with a BTE trigger, and Harwood covered him, but it got broken up. Colton Gunn took out Matt Jackson with a Famouser on the floor. In the ring, FTR went for their finish on Jay White again, but Robinson again broke things up. And Jay White hit Blade Runner on Wheeler. Colton then threw Harwood out to the floor. He covered Cash Wheeler. And he got the surprise three count. The only thing that was not surprising about this is the fact that Cash Wheeler is the one who took the losing fall. There's no way that that is a coincidence. So that part of it, I was not surprised. If they were going to lose, the fact that Cash would be the one to take the uh, pin, that's not surprising at all, given his uh, recent situation. But, yeah, we got the parade of big moves. You know what this felt like to me? This felt like a big main event on Dynamite or Collision. I guess given who's involved, it probably would have been on collision. That's what this felt like. This felt like a big main event on collision. Um, Nothing at stake here, but Colton Gunn getting the pin on cash should set the guns up for a tag team title match now with FTR. Now the crowd reaction, it made for a fun atmosphere during the match. But again, it was, it's hard to keep track of things in matches like this because it's just, especially with the Bucks, it's the constant parade of just big moves and, yeah, that's what we that's what we got here from this match, but it, it just it felt like a like a big collision main event. Not a not a big pay-per-view match at all out, given the people who were involved. I said this in my predictions. I would have preferred a three-way for the tag team titles. You have Jay White and Juice Robinson, you have the Bucks and you have FTR. But we didn't get that. And for the first time ever. An AEW pay-per-view was headlined by an international championship match and by Orange Cassidy defending against John Moxley, who was main eventing all out here for the second straight year. Last year it was against CM Punk. This year it was against Orange Cassidy. Blackpool Combat Club and the best friends in Chris Statlander They walked with the uh, champion and challenger, respectively, prior to each man's entrance. Cassidy got out of the gate fast. Moxley, though, avoided the orange punch, and he hit multiple suplexes. Cassidy popped off a stun dog millionaire, and he hit a dive outside. Cassidy tried his DDT, but Moxley countered into a suplex, and he started ragdolling Cassidy on the floor, posted him, and after the shot into the ring post, orange Cassidy came up looking like a cherry. His face was covered in red. He was wearing the proverbial crimson mask here. And so Moxley pounced on top of him on on the commentary table, and he's biting at his head. Moxley waits for Cassidy to beat the count. As soon as he does, he immediately hits a pile driver, and Moxley begins to bite the bloody wound yet again. He kisses Renee with that mouth. 
fucking disgusting, this guy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Moxley, though, he is just relentless with cross-face strikes. Cassidy tries fighting back. And Moxley starts mocking the whole hands-in-the-pockets thing. He wanted a superplex. Cassidy, though, turned the tables. He started biting Moxley on the head. Moxley then avoided an orange punch the first time, not the second one. And that got a two-count only. Moxley countered beach break into a gotch-style pile driver, and Cassidy almost got a flash crucifix, but Moxley got the rear naked choke applied. He transitioned to an arm breaker. They got this great overhead shot of him uh, applying the arm breaker. It looked like something out of a UFC fight. You see the whole mat around them is just stained in blood. Shockingly, not Moxley's. But I thought that was a great overhead shot that we got there for a few seconds. So he got the uh, label lock applied, and Cassidy nearly tapped out. He got the ropes. He fell out to the floor. Moxley followed him outside. and He started ripping the tape up. Now, there's tape to keep all of the uh, mats just, you know, taped together on the outside. So he's ripping up some of the tape, and he starts to rip up some of the mats at ringside. He was going to deliver a pile driver to Orange Cassidy on the exposed floor. Cassidy countered, though, with a uh, beach break on the floor, followed by a drop kick. He sent Moxley's head into the side of the ring steps with a running drop kick. So Moxley beat the count back into the ring at nine. Cassidy hit multiple orange punches. Third one was blocked into a cutter. Cassidy spun out of a Death Rider attempt into another orange punch. And a Roman Reigns spear. We see Roman Reigns do this sometimes where he'll hit the ropes once, he'll hit it twice, and then he'll do it again. So Cassidy did that. He ran the ropes a couple times, and then finally he hit the spear. That got him a near fall. Then we got the usual pocket offense from Orange Cassidy. Puts the hands in the pockets, and he starts doing the light kicks. But then, all of a sudden, he kicks it up a notch. And Orange Cassidy, he starts to get more intense and more intense. And now he is just kicking the shit out of John Moxley. And this is firing up the crowd. The people love this. Cassidy, though, ends up getting taken down with a, uh, a wild lariat from Moxley but he no-sells it and immediately pops back up to his feet. Everybody in the building just went nuts for that as well. Moxley, though, wiped him out with another lariat, only got two. Moxley then connected with Death Rider. Cassidy rolled his shoulder up barely to break the count. This is what we've seen from him during this entire run. They have him constantly kicking out of people's finishes. One of the worst examples of it was actually Wednesday night on Dynamite, 
when he was kicking out of Maiden Penta a couple of times, and they're kicking out of Destroyers every three seconds. So this is a pattern that we've seen in these Orange Cassidy title defenses, where somehow he finds a way, and he's always, you know, kicking out of people's big moves. So he managed to do it again here. He is just dripping blood at this point. I mean, it is it is pouring out of his head. You see a little, little, you talk about pockets, you got little pockets of blood all over the mat. And Cassidy rises to his feet. He flips off John Moxley. And Moxley flattens him with a huge death rider. I mean, he got him way elevated and dropped him down on his head with the death rider. And he pinned him one, two, Just like that, John Moxley is your new AEW International Champion. The biggest surprise of this match isn't the fact that we got blood. It's the fact that we got blood and it didn't come from John Moxley. We saw Brian Danielson bleed on this show. We saw Orange Cassidy bleed on this show. We had at least one other person bleed on this show as well. Uh, Darby Allen, I think. No John Moxley. That was the most surprising part of this main event, honestly, even even more than him winning which I figured he was winning anyway. No blood from John Moxley. Blackpool Combat Club come out to celebrate with him. Brian Danielson was there, for those of you wondering, is he still part of the BCC? Because now it looked like he was a babyface almost. I'm not so sure about that, by the way, because he w- the way that he was lighting up Ricky Starks in that strap match, I don't know if babyface is the word that I would use. He's, he's kind of a sick fuck. But yes, he was out there with the Blackpool Combat Club. He had the head wrap. And uh, they were all celebrating his win. They left together. And that left Orange Cassidy laying on the mat all by himself. They stopped Moxley's music. And everybody in the building gave Orange Cassidy a very nice uh, ovation. They chanted his name. And they went off the air. This was an excellent show. The main event, I thought, was very good. I enjoyed that match. The Takeshita Omega match was excellent. The Danielson-Ricky Starks match was excellent. The Miro Powerhouse Hobbs match I had a lot of fun with. That was very good. Uh, The Derby match with Luchasaurus was also very good. So really up and down this card, I can't say that there were any bad matches. And there were some really fucking great matches on this card. So when I made the comment at the beginning about how I would put this over All In, when I look at the card from top to bottom, All In was a very good show. Uh, I give the edge to All Out. And as far as this weekend goes, between Payback last night and All Out tonight, the edge goes to All Out. That, that's, that's, that's an easy one. But between All Out and All In, I go All Out. I actually had more fun watching this show. I thought it was a better show. Uh, in the poll, 77% of you have given this show a thumbs up. And we have uh, 11% thumbs in the middle. And 11% thumbs down. Somebody said Brian fell off the stage at the press conference. That's what Bliss fan says. Well, is he okay? Let's make sure he's okay. I don't want to hear that he fell off the he fell off the stage and broke the other arm. That would be fucking terrible. So uh, I'll have to get the update after on Brian Danielson. I thought you were going to say he fell off the stage as they were leaving after the main event. That would have been worse. Now, I don't have the all-in poll in front of me. Maybe somebody can jump on my Twitter and and compare the results so far for All Out to what the final poll results were for All In. I would be curious to see how they match up. But 77% thumbs up is pretty fucking good for a show that 
on paper coming in, looked like the weakest AEW pay-per-view card in years. And probably one of the weaker all-out cards that the company has ever done. But the talent went out there and, and they knocked it out of the park. So credit to all of them. Now, before I get to your uh, Super Chats, I do have a little bit of news here concerning one uh, Philip Brooks, CM Punk. I'm sure all of you by now know the news that CM Punk is no longer... Yes, that's true. Dr. Bropia, you can just go back to the all-in stream. That's right. Let's go back to the stream from last Sunday and scrub all the way to where the Twitter poll was. Let me know what that uh, poll said. But I did a... 40-plus minute segment on CM Punk. And I hope that's the last 40-minute segment I have to do on CM Punk. I suspect it will not be, because I don't believe we've heard the last of this story. In fact, there's already, and I think there was something in Sports Illustrated about this, the belief on both sides, the Punk side and the AW side, is that he is going to respond. And it could be, quote, explosive. With Punk, it always is. So when the response comes, that is going to be most interesting. And, of course, it will ignite this whole conversation all over again. So I'm sure we have not heard the last of uh, CM Punk and AEW in this whole situation. But, again, if you want to know my thoughts on on just everything, I tried to condense everything and just go over it and and really kind of boil it down for you. Uh, There's 40-plus minutes of that on episode 824. So you can go check that out. But... During the show tonight, there was a, an interesting story that was dropped by uh, Cassidy Haynes of Bodyslam.net. It's a Bodyslam.net exclusive. I think Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful also shared it. And it concerns an incident that took place involving CM Punk and one William Regal. The very night that Regal debuted, I believe it was at Revolution uh, last year that he debuted in AEW, there was a previously unreported incident. Very interesting that this is coming out now. But this is the story. I'll just share it with you because, again, this only came out a few hours ago uh, during the pay-per-view. Multiple sources have confirmed to me details about an incident that took place between CM Punk and William Regal, which took place when Regal made his debut. In the altercation between the two men... There's that word again. (laughs) There's that fucking word again. The altercation... Between the two men, Punk refused to shake Regal's hand and would then get in the legend's face, telling him that he did not like him, he did not trust him, there's the T-word, and that Regal was, quote, a stooge for Triple H. So if this story is to be believed, on the very night that William Regal debuted in that company, and there were a lot of very happy, very excited people, in AEW, that William Regal was coming to work for them. I remember that night. I remember when he walked out, it shocked the hell out of me. He got a big pop from me. That was when Moxley and Danielson had their match. They were going at it, and Regal came out to get between them and say, hey, you two better get on the same page. So that was a big moment in AEW. And now we come to find out that evidently Punk got up in Regal's face. Which, again, it just goes to everything I was saying earlier today when I talked about the punk situation, everything I said days ago on the stream, that he has a hair trigger. And there is just something about him and his personality where he gets up in people's faces. It's almost like he's a bully in a way. 
and he feels he has to get up in people's faces, and he has trust issues. And I talked about this today. He has severe trust issues. That, that to me, is one of the more obvious things, and uh, why this was never going to work, because apparently he doesn't trust a fucking person in this company. Other than FTR bald and FTR hair, I don't think he trusts very many people at all in this company. So this was a completely unsustainable situation. But imagine getting up in, in William Regal's face and saying that I don't like you, I don't trust you. Even, even if you feel that way, why do you feel the need to do that? So I would not be surprised if we start hearing more stories like this uh, that start coming out and being leaked out. And we'll see what what's reported and by who and try to separate fact from fiction. But uh, I wanted to bring you up to speed on what the latest installment here of uh, All Elite Elementary looked like. The uh, previously unreported altercation involving CM Punk and William Regal. This man is ready. He's ready to throw down with anybody. Unbelievable. Why so serious? Why so angry? He's got plenty of money. He's got a hot wife. Got his dog. Had his own show. Had the run of the place. What's there to be angry about? I have no idea. All right, let's get to your super chats here and go through your uh, questions and comments. Groovy Goose with the 499. One common theme I noticed with the summers of punk is that it's usually followed by the fall. Thanks for the streams. Well said. Very true. Summer of Punk is usually followed up by the fall of Punk. Groovy also says, here's to a good stream. Hey, Groovy Goose, thank you for the super chats. Uh, G. Barry Free, 10 bucks. Do you think the plan is for Cole to wear MJF out with these Ring of Honor tag team matches? Then somehow challenge him for the title again when MJF is just completely hurt? Or is this close to the OCN? Yeah, I mean, as I'm reading that, it sounds a little a little close to the Orange Cassidy angle they've been doing with him this year. Um, I don't think that's what the idea here is. I was surprised to not see Roddy and, um, and the Kingdom, although I guess Roderick Strong already said that, you know, he's going to enter into the Eliminator tournament. Now that they did the tease, though, I'm kind of hoping we get Samoa Joe uh, winning that tournament. We don't even know who else is in it. We, we we have to assume Joe will be in it. We know Roddy already said he would be in it. We'll probably have to wait until Wednesday and find out who's actually in this Eliminator tournament. We'll probably start getting matches on TV this week. Uh, RB065, I love the meats. Do you love the meats? There you go. Free advertising for Arby's. Hey, you want a sponsorship? You got, you got to pay up to take more than two bucks. Arby's. I didn't know Arby's was so cheap. Look at Arby's trying to get that $2 sponsorship here on my channel. Uh, Naughty Delicious says Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks need to get the hell out of AEW. Tony Khan is such a mark shaking my head. I'm not watching All Out, but the results were predictable, says Naughty Delicious. 
Jacob Harrison, glad to be at the show tonight. Turned into a fun pay-per-view despite the lack of build. Scotty Clash. Besides getting beer spilled on me, amazing show. Yeah, that would piss me off. Somebody spilled the beer on me at the show. Ace of Masta. Orange Cassidy deserves a well-paid beach break. As John Moxley continues to wait for his vacation. Orange Cassidy will finally get one of his own. Paul Carpenter. I literally have no reason to watch AEW anymore. Not even a punk fan anymore, but after last week's Dynamite, no interest in anything. That's too bad, though, because the show tonight was uh, pretty good. Jason Major says, F's for all who thought this show would flop. Creole. Thank you for the super chat. Father Stable. I'm confused. Did you wrestle or say? Yeah, didn't you see it? Did you not see the end of the paper? The hell's wrong with you? Uh, Moyes says, uh, how do you do it? Weeks like this where you watch so much wrestling, have multiple breaking news, etc., and you still give us these banger reviews. All I want to say is thank you. Well, you make it all worth it. Without you, there is no me. There's no point to any of this, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very busy week. It was a very busy week. There was a lot going on, and um, we got through it. We got through all the streams. We got through the podcast earlier. We got the Monday Night Raw stream tomorrow night. We're going to be live again in less than 24 hours. That's the thing about the wrestling business. There is no offseason. It never ends. It's 52 weeks a year, all year round. That could be great. It's great for business, right? I don't want there to be a, a four-month period on the channel where we don't have any reviews because there's no shows. So you take the good with the bad. The bad is that it never fucking stops. And you just got to keep going and going and going. And there's more wrestling now than ever before. It's a good thing and a bad thing. Charlie with the 999. Hey, Solo Monster, this is my... Three quarters attendance of AEW pay-per-views this year. They're coming to my hometown of LA for full gear. The show rivals Revolution and much better than Double or Nothing. I hope LA delivers. Charlie is uh, hitting all the events, it sounds like, if I'm understanding that super chat. Booba, good show. I enjoyed it. You said Takeshita going over was the right move. I agree with you, but shouldn't have... Stark's gone over as well. If not, why? I think the it, it all depends on the follow-through. I think the way they did that finish. If the goal is to turn him babyface, now that Punk is gone and maybe maybe plans have changed, you can build Collision around a small core group of people with Ricky Starks in that group near the top. And I think doing the finish the way they did now puts him in a position where he could be a top babyface on that show. If they don't turn him back babyface, I still think that he comes out of this uh, looking pretty good because, again, he hung with Brian Danielson. There's no shame in losing to someone like Brian Danielson who beat Okada with a broken arm at Forbidden Door. He goes in there, he hangs with Danielson, he busts him wide open, absolutely whips the shit out of him, and in the end, he passes out because he refuses to submit. 
So again, I, I, I look at that as an elevation. I don't look at that as a, a burial. I don't look at that as a step backwards for him. I look at that as a badge of honor, what we saw tonight. But I really think that they could parlay this into a, uh, a successful babyface turn. Because people already liked him before. It wouldn't be that hard to turn him back. You know, circumstances change. People come, people go. I'm just looking at Ricky Starks as the top heel on Collision, and who does he feud with? You know, they could start moving some people around now that people are no longer banned from Collision. They could open the uh, the roster up a little bit more and, and have people like Hangman or, or other people who otherwise maybe would not be on that show. They could start to have them on that show. And maybe Ricky Starks can work with them, but I, I don't know if he's heel... You know, who does, he, who does he work with that, that keeps him in a position high up on the card? You know, I, I, I think he might be better off being a baby face. Charlie says, also, the kid that got the OC glasses sat next to me the whole show. His enthusiasm throughout made the event that much more enjoyable. I even got a photo with him. My trip to Chicago has been amazing. Well, Charlie, that is awesome. I'm glad you had fun, man. That's uh, very cool. Did you uh, hit up StarCast? I know a couple people who went to StarCast and got some pictures with some people there. You know, uh, Conrad makes a whole big weekend out of the whole thing. He says, I don't know how it came out on TV, but I can say for certain that there were positive reactions for the Bucks. It was 60-40. Yeah, it was pretty noticeable on TV. It, it, got, it got a little bit better for them as the match went on. Uh, it was still it was still majority booze, but it was definitely closer to 60-40 sounds about right. Uh, Booba says, I like uh, Juice as much as I like LA Knight, bro. Juice Robinson? Yeah, Juice is pretty good. He's no Jay White. But uh, I, I enjoy Bullet Club. Charlie again with the 999 says there were pockets of CM Punk chest. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about Orange Cassidy making pockets. Right? There were pockets of CM Punk chants early on, followed by loud boos. Even Chicago was not fully supporting Punk. Also, a fan ate Dax's gum that cashed through into. Ugh. You fucking kidding me? That's disgusting. What the fuck is wrong with these people? A fan ate Dax Harwood's gum that Cash threw into the crowd, and that popped the crowd. That's more disgusting than John Moxley biting away at Orange Cassidy's bloody head. Someone ate Dax's gum. That's fucking disgusting. What the fuck is wrong with me? That's how we end up with the next pandemic, by the way. You know that, right? That's how we're going to end up, whatever whatever the next version of COVID is. That's how, that's how it's going to come about, thanks to these wrestling people. That's fucking disgusting. Uh, Edward Cardenas. Hello, Salamonster. How was your day? Uh, very busy. Very busy. I only got three hours of sleep because the stream went so late last night. Woke up. Had to go right back to work just to get my notes together after payback so I can actually start recording the podcast. Uh, I did not start doing until 11.30 in the morning. 
But eventually I skipped lunch, got the podcast done, tried to get it out as early as I could because it's pay-per-view day. Got that up. Had to start doing some audio editing to get some a uh, couple of clips up on the channel. Prepped the preview for this stream. Got the artwork together, got everything together, got the preview page up, had dinner, took a shower, watched the pay-per-view. Now I'm here with you. That's my day. That was my whole day. Who said Sunday was a day of rest? Not for me. Not for this guy. But Edwin, I hope your day was was very good. I hope you had a very good day. Uh, Unregistered Hypercam 2. Meet Chance. Sean Stasiak to AEW confirmed. I wonder what he's up to these days. I know he's out of the wrestling business. Oh, Edwin, did I call you Edward? I'm sorry. I told you, three hours of sleep, brother. Did I call you Edward? Edwin, I meant Edward. Jeez. I'm losing it. Paul Carpenter with the five says, when Ledge debuts, do you think he debuts against Christian Cage? And then Christian talks about how his dad was never there for him. (laughs) That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Have Christian talking to Edge about your father didn't even like you. He didn't stick around. Have we decided that his name, if he comes to AEW, is going to be Ledge? I thought we I thought we were still talking about possibly Wedge or Hedge. <laughs> Ledge? Okay. Apparently people have settled on Ledge. So if he ever comes in, he'll be Ledge. I like that idea. Skywalker with the 1999 says, do you think CM Punk is the modern day ultimate warrior? And do you think overtime W... Oh, he means overtime. WWE will have a special name, the self-destruction of CM Punk. Of the CM Punk. Is that like uh, Bret Hart and the SummerSlam? No, I don't think we're going to have that, but I do absolutely believe that one day we will have a Dark Side of the Ring episode on CM Punk. And probably more specifically CM Punk and AEW in this whole situation going back to last year. That is Dark Side of the Ring material if I've ever seen it. If Dark Side of the Ring can do the odd episode that doesn't involve drugs and death, and they can do something on Bash at the Beach 2000 and stuff like that, they could definitely do an episode about CM Punk and AEW. So that I absolutely think will happen one day if they keep the seasons going. And is he the modern-day Ultimate Warrior? In some ways, yes. A lot more people seem to just completely dislike the Ultimate Warrior. He just seemed like a... Just a a terrible person all around. But, yeah, I mean, I would say he's probably the closest thing. Nash DTV didn't buy All Out. Chose to buy All In last week. Hope they don't do this two pay-per-views in one week nonsense next year. Well, who wants to give him the bad news? Nash, I hate to break break it to you. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they're doing it again next year. Amiibo Juice. Joe's music was the perfect topping to that cake. I love Samoa Joe's music. Samoa Joe's music is, is some of the best music for anyone in the company. Other than, you know, Final Countdown. Some of those songs. Do we do we remember, by the way, when Samoa Joe debuted in NXT, what his music was? How awful his music was? 
thankfully they fi- I think the following week they fixed it. I think even they realized like what the hell is this? They gave him like elevator music. I remember how awful it was when he first uh, debuted. Joey Jojo Jr. Is this too dark? Christian feuds with Hook. And we get segments of Christian trying to kill Taz so he can cut the Your Father's Dead promo on Hook. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty that's that's pretty dark. Now what's he gonna do? Is he, he's gonna kidnap Taz and it's gonna be like the uh, segments they did with Josh Matthews and Tim White. Lunchtime suicide segments. Every week it's just Christian trying to find uh, different ways to kill Taz and it backfires like the Roadrunner and and Wiley Coyote. Is that what we're doing here? ABK, again with that 101 from earlier, says uh, good morning, guys. It's been a great morning. It hasn't been a good morning. It's been a great morning. Edwin, not Edward, says, I just saw a picture of Bald Rusev and he kind of looks like the guy from SmackDown that Michael Cole likes making fun of. Oh, Top Dollar. Flop Dollar. I don't think he looks like Flop Dollar. Flop Dollar lost a lot of weight. So I can see maybe a little bit. Facially, though, I don't see. Justin G. FTR Ball. FTR Hair. Young Buck Hair. Young Buck Less Hair. Was good. RB. It actually is from the Halo game series. Oh, is it? I didn't know. I, I haven't played Halo, so I, I didn't know. Uh, Kiyoi, 102 with five bucks. I cannot believe the amount of people quitting AEW because of Punk leaving. The man is a bully and soft as Charmin. CM stands for Charmin Man Bear Punk. No, I don't, I don't like that as much. I, I, I said on the podcast earlier, the CM is uh, Chicago Malcontent. I think that makes more sense. And by the way, the, the uh, segment from episode 824, the punk stuff. I did put that up on the YouTube channel earlier this evening. The video was up two hours. I don't even think it was up a full two hours. And it already had over 600 comments. It was... I didn't even try to look. I'm just like, you know what? I got to get ready for this stream. I, I can't. I just can't. So, I'm, I can only imagine the comments that must be in that video and the debates that must be going on and the cancer probably in that comment section. But it's a very divisive subject, apparently. I don't know why, but apparently it is. Thunder Force, thank you for the 12. Even if Punk did not have this attitude, would it have made any difference to his WWE run as Vince doesn't consider wrestlers who look like Punk as WrestleMania main events? If he did not have this attitude, would it have made a difference? Uh, Oh, no, 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 no. No, so basically what you're saying is if, if his overall attitude was different during his first run in WWE, it would not have made a difference to him getting the WrestleMania main event. No, I mean, it wouldn't have made a difference. Because they had their people. They had The Rock, they had John Cena, they had other people they were pushing. It just it just didn't work out. 
Punk's greatest chance to get the WrestleMania main event back then would have been WrestleMania 29. You make it a triple threat. You do Rock, Punk, and Cena. Cena and Punk had a, an excellent match on television. That, that, the last match they ever had. That TV match on Raw. Oz and Glorious says, All out effing rule. Shout out to the hot CM Punk fan in the front row, flipping off Hangman and rolling her eyes throughout Omega versus Takeshita. I did notice that. Oz says, hats off to your insane work ethic, Salamas, for especially on weeks like this. I appreciate you. I appreciate you as well. Always have Oz here in these chats on these streams, supporting and hanging out. Thank you. Or Whizzle. Punk to Impact or Punk to New Japan? Uh, if, if either of those were going to happen, it would be New Japan. I don't know. I don't know if Impact could afford Punk. Shock Wrestling again with that $300 Super Chat. I'll give him another quick plug here. Check out Shockwave Sports on YouTube. If you are interested in WWE 2K Paw content. Thank you again. Nick Grosso. Very good show. Even the women delivered. I'm really starting to like Tony Storm. Unhinged Marilyn Monroe character. I think this leads to a Soraya versus Tony Storm match, but I still think Jamie Hayter in the end game for Soraya. Well, that just really boils down to how quickly she can come back. I mean, the belief is that she's not going to be back until next year. But you never know. Brian Danielson was supposed to be out another month or two, and look, he's already back. But the last update I heard was that Jamie Hayter was not expected back until 2023. A lot can change between now and 2023. Look at what changed from 2022 to 2023. Imagine what things will look like in six months or, or nine months from now. You can't predict anything. There's been so much crazy shit going on in wrestling over the last couple of years. Unbelievable. ABK wanted some more dancing solo. He got it. Dropped a $200 super chat. Thank you, brother. William L. considered this a minuscule token of appreciation for all of your time given to us. May you continue to prosper. I don't consider five bucks uh, minuscule. People taking five bucks out of their pocket and giving it to me. I, I value all of it. Thank you, William. Scotty Clash with the five. Beef and meat. Greatest words ever chanted at a wrestling show. Miro must run with this and have a shirt made. Me and my cousin were crying. Well, let's hope that if he does and it takes off, that they don't kill it like Vince McMahon decided to finally kill Rusev. The champ. I think if CM Punk did sign with WWE, he would only be good in a limited Brock Lesnar-type role. So he is not around so much. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to use him in a limited role anyway, because look, he came back in June. He was not back for very long. Physically, he was able to hold up. But he is a guy who suffered two major injuries. Now, one of them was a freak thing. But he suffered back-to-back major injuries in AEW that required months of rehabilitation. He's only going to get older. He's not the same CM Punk physically that he was 10, 15 years ago. So 
you got to keep that in mind. You're not going to get CM Punk and have him on a full-time schedule. It's just not going to happen. If anything, he'll have more of like an edge schedule. But he's always just one injury away from being back on the injured list for six months. And given the year he had last year with injuries, I would use him very sparingly. Otherwise, I think you're threading the needle a little bit there. Uh, the champ, thank you again. Lone Wolf with the 10 bucks says, I rewatched the Punk Joe match. Oh, is ABK heading out? Hey, ABK, again, thank you, brother. Thank you again for the love. Lone Wolf. Hey, there's Dexter Loomis. What the hell happened to him? Where'd he go? What's he up to? Lone Wolf says, I rewatched the Punk Joe match at All In. I cannot help but think that as the match went on, being in front of 81,000, that Punk realized he had fucked up again. Uh, Paul. Christian should walk around as a child protective service officer, by, by the way. The CM Punk, or the CM in CM Punk, is Chocolate Muffin Punk. Phony, is Punk the greatest tweener in wrestling? I don't know if tweener is the right word. I think the word you may be looking for is... Is he the most polarizing that, I think, is true. At the moment, yes, CM Punk is the most polarizing figure in wrestling. Edwin, who is going to ban people from Collision now? Well, you'll be happy to know that the uh, $7 Super Chat is not going anywhere. CM Punk, he may not be in the ring anymore for now, but he is still on the streams banning people from Collision. It's in the contract. He still has the contractual right to ban people from Collision. At least here on this channel. Incredible Jake, 499. Would you compare CM Punk to Antonio Brown at this point? I mean, we're just comparing CM Punk to all the uh, all the malcontents out there, huh? Darth Panic. Can we get another member's watch along? Also, ABK should get an automatic green sky. I would if I had control over it. I have no control over that, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, we should probably do another watch-along soon. I just, I've been so busy with just, you know, the, uh, the live streams and everything else that's been going on this summer. But we will get back to those at some point. I, I enjoyed the, uh, the King of the Ring one that we did back in June. I, I think we did one more after that, didn't we? I don't know if that was the last one. I thought we did one more after that. But there was a King of the Ring 93, because this was the 30-year anniversary. Uh, we did a King of the Ring 93 watch-along back in June that if you missed... It's on the channel. Open to everybody. You can go back and check that out. But, uh, of course, when we do them, the members who are with me live, it's members only in the chat. So, well, we had fun during that. Wow. That's a sea of red that I see in the Super Chat section, which I always love seeing. Red. Magenta. You guys killed it tonight. I'll tell you that much. That's for damn sure. And uh, we have got just shy of 600 likes. The goal tonight was 500. So we easily surpassed our goal as we have for all of these streams. And we have to start setting the goals a little bit higher, I think. I think I'm setting them too low. Um, Zito. 
with a 499. That is Umzito's very first super chat here on the channel. So uh, thank you for the 499. Dr. Bropio says Punk went from being a wrestler to a controversial YouTuber with all of the news. Oh my God. If you want, to, let me tell you something. He doesn't have to wrestle another day in his life. If CM Punk wanted to start his own YouTube channel and just rant on everybody, <laughs> he could retire. I mean, he could retire now probably, but he could retire just based on uh, whatever income he derives from his YouTube channel alone. He doesn't have to take another bump for the rest of his life. Might not be a bad idea. Would give me more content to cover. Let's be the booker. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to be the booker. It is time to be the booker. We cap off a very enjoyable All Out 2023 review here on the channel. And I think we went three for three last night, didn't we? On the payback stream. See if we can replicate that here on the AEW stream. I don't want to upset the AEW people by giving the WWE fans the uh, the good ones. Kick things off here with Switchblade Jay White, former IWGP heavyweight champion. Very appropriate. Jay White's team picked up the win tonight at All Out. Could be a future AEW world champion. Switchblade Jay White, one-on-one with Brian Pillman. We just landed on Brian Pillman the other night. We got Brian Pillman against Bret Hart. Which match would you rather see? Brian Pillman against Bret Hart? Or Brian Pillman against Jay White? Let's go to the uh, ladies. Book ourselves a women's match. We begin with Gail Kim. Former Impact Knockouts champion. I, I believe she is an Impact Hall of Famer. Is that uh, is that is that true? I believe she is. Gail Kim getting back in the ring here to go one-on-one with Shotzi. I don't know what's going on with Shotzi of late. But uh, that sounds like a match that, uh, as much as I like Gail Kim... Shotzi is not exactly uh, on a roll lately when it comes to uh, her matches. So, got to give that the buzzer. Not based on what I've seen lately. I cannot give that the bell. Here's the tiebreaker. Tag team be the booker. Let's do it. Here we go. We begin with Harlem Heat. Booker T and Stevie Ray. Booker T a five-time world champion, but a tag team champion 11 times. 11 times tag team champion Booker T. And let's see who Harlem Heat's going to be getting into the ring with. Harlem Heat taking on power and glory. I got to admit, I, I was a power and glory mark. I really, I was a mark for their finish, which is why I, I like that FTR took their powerplex finish. I just wish they would actually use it occasionally as a finish. Power and Glory absolutely could have been tag team champions at some point. They never really pushed them at all. They never got any sort of meaningful push. So there was some uh, wasted potential here with these guys. But we went two for three. That's not bad. It's not a clean sweep, but that's pretty good. 
Two out of three ain't bad. Paul Carpenter, one more time, cry me a river punk. And with that, I believe we have come to a close. This has been a very eventful stream, a very uh, enjoyable all-out pay-per-view. And payback, uh, payback also, I thought was a good show. Uh, a couple of excellent matches last night. So we got some really good wrestling this weekend, which is never a bad thing. Now, tomorrow night, we're going to get some more. We're going to get some great wrestling tomorrow night. Because we have Gunther defending the Intercontinental Championship against Chad Gable. And if they have any sense in their brains, they will give these two guys 25 minutes and put them in the main event of the show. That is what I am hoping for. I, I, I do believe Gunther will break the record. I don't think he's going to lose the title tomorrow night. If he wins, come Friday, he will pass the honky-tonk man. He will be the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. So it looks like we might be uh, witnessing some history this week. So that's going to be a, a fun Raw stream tomorrow for that match alone. Dr. Bropio says, Tony Khan confirmed Jungle Jack has been suspended indefinitely. So we will see him in about two weeks or so. Once again, the justice system fails America. Did he mention anything about the length of the suspension? Is that what he said, that he'll be back in two weeks? I'll have to check that out after. I'll have to check out the scrum and uh, see if there's any news coming out of the scrum. But Dr. Bropio, thank you very much. And uh, all of you as well, I want to wish you uh, adieu. Be well, stay safe. Please go ahead, if you have not already done so, and check out episode 824, almost two hours. A brand new sound off went up earlier this afternoon. Uh, not only talking CM Punk and All Out, but uh, talking Payback, talking uh, Bray Wyatt, tag team on their way back to WWE, possibly as soon as this week, and uh, your mailbag questions as well. I will see you guys back here in less than 24 hours. We'll do it all over again for Monday Night Raw.